This episode is presented by Away Travel. Quite simply, Away makes everything you need for a trip away. Away started with the perfect suitcase, then built from there, creating a range of travel standards developed from the travel stories of friends and seatmates. The pieces aren't smart, they're thoughtful, with features that solve real travel problems. To give the whole world access to better travel standards, Away took the direct-to-consumer approach to lower prices and the quality is guaranteed. Your Away suitcase will be with you for life. We are teaming up with Away and Podgo to give you the best deal on premium luggage by going to podgo.co slash away. That's podgo.co slash away. Away Travel, here to make your journey seamless. Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. This is the first episode in a series of episodes to feature cases that also have movies based on them. Our own Based on a True Story series. Some movies are much more obscure than others, but with a little searching you can find them on your streaming services or possibly on YouTube. For each episode I will tell you all about what happened for real in the case and give you the name of a movie that is based on it. Also, stay tuned at the end of each episode as I will give you some bonus movie names that you can look up and watch. And of course, are all based on true crime stories. The true crime movie that was based on this first case is And Never Let Her Go. It's a 2001 movie starring Mark Harmon, Catherine Morris, Paul Michael Glazer, and Stephen Eckhold. The movie is based on the Anne Rule book of the same name, And Never Let Her Go. I found the movie on Tubi TV, that's T-U-B-I TV, at the time of research for this recording. I will put the name in the show notes for you. This is a true crime podcast, and this episode contains details of murder and other violent actions. Listener discretion is advised. June 27, 1996 was the last day anyone saw Anne-Marie Fahey alive. Anne-Marie was the scheduling secretary for then-Governor Tom Carper. She lived alone, and after not being able to get in touch with her for days, her family reported her missing on June 30th. The last known person she was seen with was Thomas Capano, whom she had dinner with that Thursday night, June 27th. Capano was a partner at a Wilmington law office. Anne-Marie became romantically involved with Tom Capano in 1994 after meeting at a work event. Capano was a married man in his late 40s, and Anne-Marie was a single young woman of 28. Capano was married with children, had a very successful career, a beautiful home, some would even call a mansion, and he was seeing Anne for lunches, then dinners, and eventually back at her place. Anne-Marie kept a diary, and she started out by saying how they were very good friends, and then how she was falling in love with him. In her diary entry dated April 24, 1994, she said, I am afraid because I am in love with a man who has a family. I fantasize my life with him all the time. He is very gentle, intelligent, handsome, and interesting. Anne-Marie was seeing a therapist to talk about her eating disorder and other things. She told the therapist about how she felt about Tom, and that she knew she needed to end it. This was not who she wanted to be, seeing a married man. She had different plans for her life, and that was not it. 
She tried to end it with Capano, but would always give in and go back. The relationship became one that was off and on. When it was off, Capano would send her flowers every day, email, and call her all day long, until she was worn down and agreed to see him. He bought her expensive clothes, handbags, gave her money when she needed it, and took her to expensive dinners. He even told her that he was leaving his family for her. In September of 1995, Anne-Marie met a new man, a single man, that she was very much interested in. She had already been trying to end the relationship with Tom, but now she was more motivated than ever. However, Capano would not make it easy on her. Highly manipulative, he used every trick he had at his disposal to make her see him. Turns out, Anne-Marie was not the first woman Tom Capano had had an affair with. There were others. And the one just before Anne-Marie was an ongoing affair that was still going on and had started years before he met Anne-Marie. The dinner with Capano in June of 1996, on the Thursday before Anne-Marie disappeared, was supposed to be her telling him that she was not going to see him again, that it was really over. She had already told him this, but he had kept at her in the usual way, and he thought she was just going to give in again like she had in the past. She felt she needed to see him in person and tell him face to face. She hoped she would get him to understand, although it is hard to know how much she really believed that was possible. Just months earlier, in April of the same year, she had written in her diary, I have finally brought closure to Tom Capano. What a controlling, manipulative, insecure, jealous maniac. For one whole year, I allowed someone to take control of every decision of my life. Anne-Marie Fahey, Diary Entry, April 7, 1996. Here it was, June 27, some two and a half months after she had written that in her diary and she was feeling the need to meet Capano for dinner to tell him face-to-face -face yet again. Twelve days into Anne-Marie Fahey having gone missing, a newspaper article was printed with the headline, Tense Vigil for Family as a Sister Disappears. Anne-Marie's sister and brothers were interviewed at her apartment home, where they had tied yellow bows on the columns of the porch. The article identified Thomas Capano as an acquaintance she had dinner with the night of June 27th. Both Thomas Capano and Michael Scanlon, a man she had been dating for nearly a year, stated the article, had been questioned. Investigators told family they had found no evidence of foul play. The governor actually asked President Clinton for help and asked the U.S. Attorney's Office to join the investigation, which they did. Governor Carper said in an interview about Anne-Marie having been missing for 12 days at that point, Our hopes are dissipating that she might be found safe. That's a hard thing to come to grips with, but we're very discouraged right now about her safety. So at this point in time, the affair Anne-Marie Fahey and Thomas Capano had been having was not yet in the press. Soon the affair did come to light, and Capano became a suspect. Her sister had been reading her diary, hoping to find out where she was or what had happened to her. The family soon came to suspect Capano as well. Anne-Marie Fahey started out as Governor Carper's receptionist in Washington in 1991. Then she moved to Wilmington when he became governor, and she was promoted to his scheduling secretary in 1993. Anne-Marie's upbringing was not easy. Her mother had died when she was just nine years old. Fahey's brother said their father spiraled into intense alcoholism, eventually stopped working, and the family became impoverished, sometimes going without food, electricity, hot water, or telephone service. Anne-Marie, who was the youngest of six, was often sent to live with relatives or friends. 
She developed problems with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and near-obsessive neatness. Fahey's anorexia and abusive laxatives left the 5'10 brunette a dangerous 117 pounds at one point. Later, as the investigation continued, some excerpts from Anne-Marie's diary were leaked to the press. And even later at trial, emails between Capano and Fahey were read. All of these show how the relationship was between the two. Anne-Marie Fahey and Tom Capano did go to dinner that night. He brought her a $400 outfit he bought from Talbot's that he knew she wanted but couldn't afford. The waitress said there were no laughs or smiles, and both of them just picked at their meal. Fahey's therapist told police that Fahey feared Capano and only would have agreed to go to dinner with him in order to break up with him. Somehow, though, he had gotten her to come over to his house after dinner. He had actually separated from his wife for real at this point. It is believed that he shot her in the head as she sat on the sofa in his house. He had put her in a large igloo cooler, wrapped it in chains, and put it in his garage. He went back to her apartment and staged it. He put the dress she had been wearing that night on a chair in her room. He put her handbag on the kitchen counter along with the doggy bag from the restaurant. He also left a grocery bag with fruit on the counter. He turned on the air conditioning, and when he left, he locked the door behind him with her key. The next day, he had his brother Gerald take him out in his boat to get rid of the body. He dumped her in the Atlantic. The cooler would later be recovered. Capano got rid of the sofa and carpet, which was something that would clue the investigators in on to further investigation. They learned he purchased new carpet the day after Anne-Marie was last seen. The house would eventually be thoroughly searched, and a small blood drop would be found, which would be later matched to Anne-Marie through DNA. They also found out that his other mistress, Deborah McIntyre, had bought Capano a gun to use after he told her he was being threatened by someone. The highly publicized case went to trial on October 26, 1998 and lasted 12 weeks. Before trial, Capano came up with the story that Deborah McIntyre had been jealous when she found out about Anne Marie and that she had come over with the gun. His defense team tried to paint the picture that Anne Marie was accidentally shot when McIntyre and Capano struggled for control of the gun, but the jury didn't buy it. But why would Capano kill her? Yeah, sure, he was having an affair with her, but he and his wife were now separated, so he wouldn't be afraid of her finding out, ruining his marriage, etc. He would soon be single. He had another woman on the line for years, and he was still seeing her. It was also rumored that he had begun dating yet another woman as well shortly before Anne-Marie disappeared. Was this about control, then? She was leaving him, and he wasn't in control of her? Was Anne-Marie spot-on in her diary entry when she said he was a controlling, manipulative maniac? June 17, 1999, a jury found Thomas Capano guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to death by lethal injection. In January 2006, the Delaware Supreme Court affirmed Capano's conviction, but remanded the case for sentencing because the death penalty was imposed by a non-unanimous jury verdict. In February of that year, the state abandoned its effort to seek capital punishment, opting to leave Capano in prison for life without parole. Thomas Capano was aged 61 when he was found dead in his jail cell on September 19, 2011. The medical examiner said Capano died of sudden cardiac arrest. Tom Carper, who is now a senator, released the statement. 
Tom Capano's death does not change the fact that Anne-Marie was taken from us far too soon. Sadly, nothing will ever bring her back to her family and to those of us who knew and deeply admired her. She was one of the loveliest, kindest persons I've ever had the privilege of serving with. We will miss her still and will never forget her. My thoughts and prayers are with her family during this difficult time. I have three bonus movies for you to choose from, or you can watch all three. The first one is The Hillside Stranglers, 1989 movie based on the true story of serial killers Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Buono, and the investigation and capture, starring Richard Crenna, Billy Zane, and Dennis Farina. The second movie is When Love Kills, The Seduction of John Hearn, 1993 movie, starring Gary Cole and Marge Helgenberger. Gary Cole stars as a highly decorated Vietnam vet who in 1985 fell for the wrong woman and became a killer for hire. When Cole read the script, his initial reaction to the script was one of disdain. This is just ugly, he recalls saying. And the third one is Good Night, Sweet Wife, A Murder in Boston. It's a 1990 movie. On October 23, 1989, a Boston man, Charles Stewart, claimed that his pregnant wife, Carol, had been shot in the head by a robber. It's a fact-based story about a Boston furrier and his pregnant wife who was, who was shot in their car on October 23, 1989. The wife and child subsequently died. He was also shot but survived. The husband then told that his attacker was a black man. The following investigation incited racial tensions in the city. However, there was question of the husband's innocence in the crime. Starring Ken Olin, Margaret Collin, James Handy, and B.D. Wong. The sources for today's episode, Notorious Convicted Killer Thomas Capano Found Dead in Delaware Prison Cell, WHYY by Mark Fauser, September 19, 2001, Anne-Marie Fahey, Person, Pictures, and Information-Fold3.com, The Movie and Never Let Her Go, 2001, The Book and Never Let Her Go by Anne Rule. They will all be listed in the show notes as well.